Welcome to Reflections of Darkness. This is your gorgeous drag horror hostess, Evil, coming to you from my lair of eternal damnation. How are all my listeners out there in podcast land doing this evening? Are you all decorated and ready for Halloween? Have you gone to the pumpkin patch? Done a corn maze? <laughs> Do you have an amazing costume planned? I hope so. There's not a lot of time left. You know, I was also wondering if where you are in the world, do you still get trick-or-treaters? I remember as a kid going trick-or-treating for hours and hours and having bags and bags of candy. But now I haven't seen a trick-or-treater out in decades. Oh well, too many crazies, I guess. Speaking of crazies, how about we do a quick reflection to kick things off? Tonight's quick reflection is on the new Hocus Pocus 2. Yes, I finally watched it. You know, I had heard only good things about it, but I was a little apprehensive about seeing it because for me, the first one was so good that I didn't want to ruin it. But thankfully it didn't. I mean, not really. For me, Hocus Pocus 2 was good. It had a good story, good effects, great costumes, of course. The only thing that was off for me was that it was a little too sweet. The first one was darker and tried to be like light horror, where this one felt a lot more Disney family happy. I mean, which is fine. I mean, that's, you know, that's the brand. I do wish they had played more with the Mayor Reverend connection and maybe made his spirit come back and possess the mayor and try to get the Sanderson sisters. I don't know, something a little more Halloween-y. <laughs> so, you know, if Hocus Pocus, the original, for me, got a 9 out of 10, I give Hocus Pocus 2 a solid 7 out of 10 flying Roombas, because those were cute. <laughs> well, I think we're ready for tonight's main feature, don't you? Enjoy. Tonight, we are reviewing Sleepaway Camp from 1983. Now, this movie you definitely want to watch before listening to this podcast. Massive spoiler warning. Well, it's not that massive. <laughs> I mean, it has been out for 39 years. But again, I highly suggest watching it before listening to this episode. Okay? Ready? Here we go. We start out on a cloudy day on a lake and a deserted, seemingly abandoned campground. While all this very dramatic music plays and you hear the sounds of campers past, then we see that Camp Arawak is for sale. Now, I've personally never went to summer camps, but I always wanted to, even after all the horror movies I've seen. Are there adult summer camps? Or is that just like a sad RV park kind of idea? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, fade to black. And we are back on the lake, but there are people, and it's bright and sunny. Two little kids and their dad are on a boat, watching a speedboat going around. And the little family capsizes, and the little kid's uncle is on the shore, telling them to come in. When suddenly the girl that is now driving the speedboat, because she pestered the guy who was driving it to let her drive, is heading straight for them. And instead of, I don't know, slowing down, turning, or any other thing, what does she do? Well, she plows right through them. As the man on the bank gasps, gay gasps, <laughs> and one of the little kids is fine, and the other one, and the dad, are not. Cut to eight years later, and we meet Aunt Martha, and she's played, um, let's say interestingly, by Desiree Gould. I mean, she eats up this scene. And we meet Richie and his cousin Angela. She was on the boat eight years ago, and apparently went to live with her loony Aunt Martha after the accident. But we don't see the uncle. Hmm. Hurry, sweeties! We don't want to be late for the boss! Goodness, no. no. That wouldn't do at all. Richard! Angela! Oh, here you are! Look what I did. I packed you and your cousin some goodies for the ride up to camp. Wasn't that nice of me? Hmm? 
any chips? Why, of course. I believe there's a whole bag. Well, I'm almost sure of it. Angela, isn't there anything special my little girl would care for? Hmm? We gotta go, Mom. It's getting late. Why, of course you do, dear. We wouldn't want them to leave without us now, would we? No? No, I'm afraid that that wouldn't do. Come, children. Let's be on our way. Now, buses roll into camp with tons of kids running towards the cabins, and we see the camp owner, Mel, and, oh my God, one of the camp counselors, Ronnie, and all buff in his little short shorts that are barely containing him. Whew. Now I really do wish I had gone to summer camp. <laughs> But then immediately after Hot Ronnie leaves the screen, we see the gross pervert pedophile Camp Cook. Look at all that young, fresh chicken. Where I come from, we call them baldies. Makes your mouth water, don't it? Hardy, they are too young to even understand what's on your mind. Then, good buddy, there ain't no such thing as being too young. You're just too old. <laughs> So it's clear Ricky is a popular outgoing kid, as we meet one of his friends, Paul. And Angela is clearly very shy, since we find out it's her first time away from home, which is a little weird. Then we meet Judy, who apparently had a couple big developments since last summer, and now all the older boys want to talk to her tits. I mean, to her. And she clearly hasn't let this power go to her head. Who were those guys? Just some boys I met today. Weren't they a little old for you? Don't you know girls mature before boys? That's bullshit and you know it. Ricky, I don't have time for your nonsense right now. Well, excuse me, bitch. Cut to the girls' cabin and Angela is just staring at Judy and not talking. The actress playing Angela is very good at making her scenes very uncomfortable. Oof. Anyway. Cut to the cafeteria and Ronnie, <laughs> in his tiny little red short shorts and his sleeveless shirt, trying to get Angela to eat. We also find out that she hasn't spoken in days. And Ronnie introduces Angela to the perv cook so she can find something she wants to eat. Trigger warning, the scene is icky. So he takes her into the walk-in and closes the door and starts to undo his pants. But luckily, Ricky comes to the rescue and saves her before the perv got too far. Then a little while later... We see the biggest, tallest stockpot in the world. I have never seen a stockpot that tall, especially that tall and that thin. That would be on top of a stove. I don't even know where that came from. Anyway, they're using it to cook corn. Uh, it, I mean, it's so tall they need a chair just to look inside it. It's the most awkward, not usable stockpot. Anyway, then we get a POV shot of someone behind the perv while he's salting the water. Then the person pushes the perv and he has to grasp onto the edge and eventually he pulls the chair out causing the whole pot of boiling water to fall all over the perv. And he is boiled and blistered and in agonizing pain. But he clearly deserved it, so it's fine. <laughs> then we meet Gene. Oh my God, this movie in his crop top and short shorts. I'm dying, I'm dying. Why don't guys dress like this anymore? Oh, fun fact. Sexy crop top Jean is second cousins with the also sexy John Saxon. Wow, I'd like to meet the rest of their family. Well, I mean, at least the men. Mm. Anyway, now it's time to play some baseball. And these kids are ruthless. Come on, let's go. Come on, Billy, be ahead of Bill. Come on, Bill. No problem, Gino. This guy blows dead dogs. Just lay it in there. Eat shit and die, Ricky. Eat shit and live, Bill. Yeah, Bill, get a little wet. Come on, Bill. Right 
Okay, this game is still going on. This is a very long scene. But finally, the younger kids win and the older boys are pissed. Later at the dance, hangout, social thing? I don't know what it is. There's a little scuff with the older boys and Ricky. And we see that Paul likes Angela. And she finally speaks. Oh my god. She says goodnight to Paul. Aw, she's coming out of her shell and all it took was a boy. Hmm. Cut to the older boys trying to convince the girls to go skinny dipping. And all the girls are like, no. So all the boys go anyway, all running together naked towards the lake. I'm sure they'll have a good time even without the girls. <laughs> Sneaking suspicion. Then we get our first kill. Well, technically. It's the kill under the canoe. Bye-bye, Kenny. He was one of the older boys that was messing with Ricky at the social thing. So the next day they find the corpse, and this corpse is amazing. A snake comes out of his mouth. It's a great makeup job, whoever did that or prosthetic job, or whatever it is. It's great. So later you see that Paul and Angela are an item, and he gives her a goodnight kiss, but I'm not sure she really liked it. Next day is swimming day, and Angela doesn't swim, and Meg is not happy about that, and freaks out on her. Now, Meg is some sort of counselor or junior counselor, but she's not really good at it. I don't think you're supposed to berate and yell at the counselors like that and make them feel bad. Anyway... Then we cut to Judy being a bitch in the girls' cabin, and it's great and terrible at the same time, but it has one of the best lines in the entire movie. She takes showers when no one can see. She has no hair down below. Judy! She's a real carpenter's dream! The lad is a board and needs a screw. Fuck off! Then there's the scene of some boys having a water balloon fight on a roof, and it's not even a flat roof. It's one of those, like, regular, just, you know, roofs. And they're all up there just playing. I don't understand it. Anyway, the head asshole boy hits Angela with a water balloon, and Ricky flips out. Later, while said asshole boy is in taking, in his words, a wicked dump, someone blocks the bathroom door, and then apparently runs all the way outside, all the way around the building, slice open the screen, and lowers a beehive into the stall. And he can't get out, even though he could have crawled under or jumped over. Whatever. He's toast. The bees destroy him. And he must have been really allergic because his corpse looks crazy. Then we get our first sign that the counselors think there is a killer. And it seems Mel has someone in mind. How many are left? I'd say about 25. Might as well pack everything and shut down. Nobody's ever going to send their kids here again. I want to finish out the summer, Mel. Tomorrow I'll consolidate the bunks. There's no sense in keeping everyone spread out. Yeah. Why make things easier for the killer? And don't talk like that. We don't know anything for sure yet. I know. I've known all along. I've seen the hate in his eyes. But I never did anything. Now I'll stop him for what he's done to me. I'll stop him. Snap out of it, will you, Mel? You're talking crazy. Huh? Maybe I am. Maybe I'm just imagining it. Maybe. Then there's the cute summer romance scene with Angela and Paul, and they start to kiss, laying on the sand next to the lake, and the happy music swells, and Angela starts to have a memory of her dad and her uncle, the gay Gasper from the beginning, in bed together. Ooh, called it. Then a weird rotating bed scene with Angela and her brother, and he's pointing at her. I don't know. That's a little too weird for me. 
Cut back to the beach and Angela freaks out and runs off leaving poor Paul all alone on the beach. Next day, it's capture the flag day and Ricky has a plan to get the flag through the woods using Angela. But Angela sees Paul kissing Judy in the woods. Or should I say Judy kissing Paul in the woods? He did not really seem like he wanted it. Now there is something about that Judy girl that gives off like a 40 year old slutty bar hag in a young body. Not that I would know anything about how that would feel, but mm. <laughs> Next day, it's swimming time again, and Paul tries to apologize to Angela, but Judy interrupts in her little bikini. But Angela just sits there and stares. Then Judy suggests getting her in the water. So Meg picks her up and throws her in the water, even though she's screaming bloody murder and no one goes to help her. And all this time, Ricky is trying to go help her, but Mel freaks out on Ricky, accusing him of being a murderer, and he may have a point. So Meg has the night off, and she wants to spend it with Mel, the very old camp owner, up at his cabin. Was she trying to get a promotion, or is she just into really old guys in polyester? Anyway, she has to use the shower in the next empty cabin because there's a line in hers. And while she's showering, someone comes in the cabin with a knife, stabs her straight through the wall, and slices down through the wall. One, it's an either very strong killer, two, very thin wall, or both. Then we see Paul trying to get Angela to forgive him, and she tells him to meet her at the waterfront after the social. So, cut to one counselor who had to take a group of little kids camping overnight in the woods, and a couple of the kids keep whining that they're cold and they want to go back. So instead of just building a fire or whatever you do in the woods, the counselor takes them up to the car while leaving the rest of the kids asleep in their sleeping bag. Uh-oh, POV of the killer on the sleeping kids and a hatchet. I wonder what will happen. Cut to Mel looking for Meg. Oh, and he finds her slit down the back and he has a meltdown, saying he's going to stop Ricky. Cut to Judy curling her hair in a dark room and someone comes in and we see the killer and they kind of look familiar. Then the killer punches Judy out, grabs her hot curling iron, puts a pillow over her face, and we are led to believe, because we don't see it, that the killer shoves the curling iron into her vagina, all sizzling and popping. And I can't say she didn't bring it on herself, but oh well, bye Judy. Cut back to the woods and the counselor coming back for taking the two boys back to the camp. And he finds all the other kids have been hacked to death. Okay, this movie does not shy away from taboo stuff. Whew. Then Mel grabs Ricky and starts beating him, I guess, to death. Then Mel starts to run away, and he runs onto the archery field and sees the real killer. So it's not Ricky. Hmm. And he gets an arrow through the neck. Great effect. Finally, the cops, or should I say cop, shows up. And he and the counselors go looking for all the missing kids. Cut to Angela and Paul about to go skinny dipping as some seriously dramatic music swells. In the woods, the fake porn stash cop finds Ricky and he's alive. He's just beaten up really bad. And then hot Ronnie and the other girl counselor hear something by the lake. It's Angela singing naked and Paul is lying in her lap and she's smoothing his hair. But as the counselors get closer, hard cut to a memory of Aunt Martha talking to Angela after the boating accident. We are going to 
enjoy living with us so much. Yes, I know you are. As a welcome home present, I bought you such wonderful new clothes. I just hope that Richard doesn't get jealous that I didn't get him anything. Oh, but then he is such a dear. I'm sure that he won't mind. You see, I've always wanted a little girl. But of course, when my husband left... Oh, well, that's all water under the bridge, as I always say. Water under the bridge. But it certainly will be a nice little surprise when Richard comes home to find a little girl in the house. Yes, I've always dreamed of a little girl just like you. I mean, we already have a boy, so another one simply would not do. Oh, no, absolutely not. A little girl would be so much nicer, don't you think so, Angela? Such a lovely name. Why, I believe it means angel. Why, yes, I'm sure it does. I know you're going to like that name. Won't you, Peter? Then, bam, Angela stands up and Paul's head, just his head, that she had had in her lap, falls. And twist of all twists, iconic scene of Angela, naked, covered in blood, wide mouth hissing as the camera pans back and she's a boy. Aunt Martha made him become a girl after the accident, and Angela has been the killer the whole time. You know, the first time you see this one, if the ending hasn't been spoiled for you, it's pretty jarring. This movie is a cult classic, and I think even without the ending, it would still be pretty popular. I mean, it has some iconic lines, but that ending just kicks it up 10 notches for sure. Now, this movie deals with a lot of taboos, especially for 1983. You've got homosexuality, children being killed, pedophiles being boiled, forced trans killers, the crazy doctor aunt who, I don't know, was she crazy before her husband was gay, after the boat accident killed his lover and child, or was she always a nut bar? We will never know. I have seen this movie multiple times, and I still see things that I'd never noticed before. So I give Sleepaway Camp from 1983 Eight and a half out of ten short short wearing camp counselors. Oh, Ronnie. Well, that was Sleepaway Camp from 1983. Whew, that twist ending. Even though I know it's coming, it still gets me every time. <laughs> every time. Uh, well, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, or whatnot, feel free to message me. All my info is over at evilqueensf.com. I'm Evil Queen SF on Instagram. Yeah. And as always, keep watching scary movies. Bye-bye. But of course you will. Take good care of my little girl, Richard. Goodbye, Mom. Goodbye, dear.